Over the weekend here in Kamloops, the RCMP had some significant incidents to deal with, including the city's first homicide of 2021. On Saturday night, a man was found dead in a room at the Howard Johnson Inn on West Columbia Street after police responded to a report of shots fired. Kamloops RCMP have identified multiple suspects in connection to the incident, and the killing is believed to be related to the low-level drug trade. Now, police have said there has been a steady increase in violence and other incidents in Kamloops that are tied to low-level drug dealers and debt collectors. To speak a little bit more to some of the issues we're seeing in Kamloops that, and that steady increase in drug-related crime, please to welcome to the program Superintendent of the Kamloops RCMP, Sid Leckie, and Staff Sergeant Simon Pillay. Gentlemen, thank you so much for the time today. My pleasure. Good morning. Now, I wanted to start by talking about that West Columbia Street area. Like, how have things kind of changed there over the years? Now, I know this is sort of a general question, but, you know, the motels along that corridor accused of having some real questionable people stay in them, both from an organized crime perspective and from a mental health perspective. I'm just curious, how has that area gotten worse recently, in your opinion? There has been a few high-profile incidents up there that brought this uh, into the public forum for discussion. Uh, I guess there's two things that we should parse apart here. Uh, organized crime and drug dealing, that has those type of entities have been using hotels as bases you know, for decades, mm-hmm. and they're not just limited to those hotels. And, and frankly, there hasn't been much change on that front. Uh, we do, through our investigations, find uh, little drug lines operating out of all sorts of different hotels from high end down to low end, but there's uh, not, not really been a change with respect to that. I do know that there has been more of the vulnerable population staying in certain areas, and that's caused some concern, but it's very important to differentiate these two things in that uh, that is not the source of the type of criminality that we see when we see shootings and, uh, and whatnot. Those are drug dealers and uh, and people active in the organized crime scene and not particularly associated to that same population who's staying there through social agencies. So has like maybe things changed when, with COVID? It just feels like since in the last year or so, that area feels like it's gotten a little bit more attention. Maybe there's no necessary rhyme or reason to it, or, or is there anything you can kind of point to? Well, COVID has definitely changed all sorts of uh, social agencies' operations, and with our vulnerable population, like many uh, challenging times, they also wind up suffering the worst. So there has been social agencies that have had to change their, uh, you know, approach to that population. I suppose that this—that's not really our area of expertise yeah. from a criminal standpoint. Uh, there hasn't been much of a change uh, with what we see our criminal uh, drug dealers, uh, the way they're operating through that corridor or anywhere else. Okay, so um, is there anything that can be done, I guess, and this isn't necessarily related to that specific area, but uh, just, you know, I talk about West Columbia Street. There's always conversations around West Victoria Street, uh, the North Shore. Is there anything uh, that these areas can do or should be doing to maybe deter this kind of activity from happening? I know the city's kind of deemed motels in, in the Columbia Street area, nuisance properties, uh, BD Elementary, uh, after the lockdowns that occurred, or the Holden Secures, excuse me, that occurred there, they made some changes to try to detract some of the activity that they were seeing in that area from, from being there. Is it is there anything that these you know property owners can do? Like, do the police talk to the the property owners and and kind of make suggestions on how they can kind of help turn these areas around or what what's sort of the role between business and police there 
Uh, you know, Sid here, and I, I think you, you just kind of touched on really the, if there is going to be an answer, you've kind of hit the, the nail on the head there in that it's a collective, this is a community problem, it's going to take, take a collective response, not just from whether it's police, uh, from the municipality, uh, but it's also going to need the buy-in from the community and the business owners uh, and all of our residents, right? So. Um, you also, um, I, I'm guessing you probably had a little insight that, that we have been working uh, with some of the, uh, the areas affected uh, collaboratively with our crime reduction unit. We've also been using uh, the participation of our um, uh, community, uh, community safety unit amongst others. So we've got, uh, we've actually drafted some of the um, uh, reports to help some of the local businesses identify some of the areas that need to be addressed and need to be, to, you know, ways that they can improve and, and um, crime prevention through environmental design. I don't know if you uh, were a part of the discussions at uh, some of the previous council meetings and um, uh, com committee meetings that I've been with at, but those have been addressed uh, there and we're going to continue to work and, and offer. Sometimes we proactively will offer these services either through our office at the detachment or through our community policing office and we will reach out to these folks when we see these trends and areas that, that are getting hit and, and try to find ways to work with them to, to solve some of these issues. And, and solve is, uh, is really, I use that term loosely, mm -hmm. because the problem seems to be increasing, certainly when it comes to property crime. And, and there's, a, there's so many factors that contribute to this. COVID-19 is a factor. Um, uh, certainly the, the whole the, the crisis that we're in with the fentanyl, and, uh, and the opioid crisis, um, there's so many things that are contributing to this. And we saw some of the trends heading in that direction prior to COVID. So it's difficult uh, to get any finger on really what's causing it, but I can tell you we're all going to have to work together. Um, you know, I, I know there's been times where I've heard some folks in the community, you know, social media or otherwise, that are blaming one group or another. And really, I don't think that's a that's a fair or wise thing to do because we're all in this together. Yeah, for for sure. Um, talking about you mentioned environmental design and some things that can be done physically to try to help, um, you know, address some of the the issues that are taking place. Mental health, of course, is a massive problem, and I know we talk a lot about here on our station the Car 40 program and liking to see an expansion of that. But just you know, that aside, how important is it to have uh, someone who is an expert on, on mental health dealing with a lot of these issues? I mean, these aren't necessarily police issues a lot of times. Obviously, when we're talking about a shooting, of course, that's a police issue. But I'm sure a lot of times you respond to some of these areas and you're thinking this isn't a, an area for an officer to, to necessarily be the lead on, on this kind of a, a situation. It should be a mental health worker. How much progress has been made in, in dealing with, you know, the mental health side of things? Like we have the car 40, but of course it's very limited. Do we need to see an expansion of, of, of mental health supports on the front lines here to, to assist what police are doing already? Well, again, uh, this is one of those areas that I've, I've spoken to a number of times in the community and, and uh, with our community leaders. Uh, there's no question that we have to uh, focus our efforts on trying to, to increase, uh, you know, the partner agencies that we work with. Um, CAR 40 is one example of it. And, and as I've always said, if I have more, I can do more. So uh, we always have to prioritize and triage what we can respond to in the times of day. And, you know, if I had 24-7 uh, uh, mental health support, I guarantee you'd get you'd be able to have that service available anytime, but that's not just not the reality that we're living in. 
So I expressed my concerns and, and uh, my, my wants, my wishes, desires and dreams in these areas uh, to our leaders and, uh, and our health officials. Um, you know, you, you partner that with things such as sobering centers. Um, you know, these are all areas that police ought not to be in if we can avoid it. But we also realize we do have an important role to play. We're not going to send uh, healthcare workers or any more than we would BC Ambulance or Fire or anyone else into situations where we know that you need to have a policing presence. So um, you'll never be able to eliminate the need for police, but you're absolutely right in suggesting that we need not be the lead agency when it comes to the treatment of mental health conditions. We don't have that expertise. So it, there's no question that there's opportunities here for us to work uh, and grow uh, together and uh, in partnership. And I know that our city uh, has been very supportive of that. You know, uh, our mayor, our director, uh, and our council members have all been very much uh, active and vocal in trying to make things happen. And we certainly encourage that and look forward to whatever progress we can get, not only in mental health, but addiction and treatment, uh, working with, you know, the, the other uh, social support agencies that we have in the community. These are, this is the only way we're going we're gonna to find any hope of solution to getting out of this problem. Yeah. Yeah. You, you touched on the, the, obviously the mental health crisis we're dealing with and the overdose crisis, the drug crisis that the, the province of BC has been in for quite some time. Uh, curious though, just to, to bring it back a, a full circle here a little bit. We see, we've seen shootings here recently. Is there a guns problem in, in Kamloops at all? I mean, uh, is there a gangs problem in Kamloops? Can you speak to the guns and gangs issue we might be seeing in our community? So, I'm going to let Simon speak to the, uh, the gangs issue. And I'll just touch real quick on the, the gun issue, because I know this surfaced, um, uh, you know, our mayor was asked about this recently uh, after the prime minister made some announcements about yeah. changes in legislation. So um, I'm going to defer some of that to the to, to, to council to have, con you know, the, as far as um, handgun bans in the community. Okay. I'm going to let uh, our, our community leaders uh, have the opportunity to respond to that, whether they want to. Uh, you know, consult with their constituents and what have you. What I can say, and I, I will say, because I've always said, is that uh, guns contribute to the problems that we're having. Uh, this past weekend, the homicide that happened was with the use of a gun. Uh, fewer guns lessens the likelihood that we're going to have uh, that sort of crime. Uh, that said, I and others around us are avid hunters and so on. So we realize there's a need for certain weapons in our community, and I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to that. But as far as the ban on guns, I'm going to leave that, uh, that issue uh, aside for now and let our uh, community leaders have that discussion with the constituents. And I'll turn over the other question to Simon with regards to uh, the gang problem and or uh, gun problem. The... Uh the, the fact that we're in an opioid crisis, I mean, that itself shows that there is an organized crime presence that can fuel that. Uh, here in Kamloops, uh, we, we have a lot of drug dealing activity. And through all of our investigations, we find our even our lowest level drug dealers very regularly have firearms. As a frontline uniform police officer here in Kamloops, you are dealing with illegal guns in the hands of criminals on almost a daily basis. Uh, so it, would I consider that a problem? Yes, I do. Uh, we target the groups who we know are in possession of uh, firearms and who are using them. Uh, and, and that is uh, just escalating the problems that we already have. 
So for example, when uh, two drug dealers are going to do a, a drug collection, uh, they're going to use violence. This is part of organized crime. Uh, it always has been. Uh, but when they're using, say, a uh, knife or a baseball bat, uh, it is far less dangerous than a firearm because a firearm uh, is more difficult to control, obviously, and, and it increases the likelihood that innocent people could be adversely affected. And we've actually seen that happen here in Kamloops. So uh, hands or drugs in the... Uh, uh, drug dealers with handguns or any other kind of firearm is a problem here in Kamloops, and we are constantly fighting back against that. I have one more question here, uh, and it's related to the cyclical cycle. It's the same word, the cycle that we're seeing of of petty crime and things like vandalism and the issues that we're seeing with that. You, you touched on it uh, early on here, both of you guys, but um, we see a lot of times where criminal or people who are, um, you know, committing something like a petty crime, a vandalism of some kind, smashing a window, uh, setting a, a fire in a dumpster or near a business or something along those lines. They get picked up and it feels like days later or maybe even hours later, they're, they're right back out there committing a similar offense a short time later. What tools do the police have right now to deal with that kind of problem? I mean, it sounds like more of a justice issue than a policing issue, but how big of a concern is it that there seems to be this cyclical issue of, of criminals being able to do something and then days later, hours later, be able to get out and, and do it again? And, and what can be done to fix that? Well, you're, I, I think, sit here, and I think you're absolutely hitting, again, the nail on the head on what the, the crux of one of our issues here. Uh, the police are oftentimes the people who are, are, are blamed, so to speak, and, and you know, answering for what, you know, why did, you've arrested so-and-so for an offense, why is he back on the street within an hour or two? Um, and and the, the legislation and, and the case law and some of the recent decisions uh, with regards to our courts and judicial system, and this isn't necessarily localized. Some of these are, are national uh, uh, mm -hmm. court decisions that have been happening, um, are really putting pressure, uh, or I guess uh, pressure is the right term. Uh, you know, the presumption of innocence is there until proven guilty. So a lot of times we are releasing people back onto the streets. Uh, sometimes it's by, uh, uh, you know, just on papers that we've given them to return to court at a later date, uh, appearance notices and so on. Or sometimes it's before the courts and the judge has to do that. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on whose side of the, the, the court you're looking at, um, it really is a challenge for us because we are duty-bound uh, to release these folks uh, many times after catching them two or three times, sometimes more. And, uh, or we hold them for court and they're released on bail uh, for a variety of reasons, um, and you know the, the the charge approval standards have uh, have changed, and there's been some recent uh, documentation released by the uh, uh, prosecution service on this. So you know you, you can certainly research a bit of it and get some of the answers there. But uh, it has put pressure on all levels of the justice system that will keep some of these offenders on the streets uh, for longer periods of time uh, prior to trial and prior to conviction. And even then, post-conviction, sometimes their sentences are such that they're, they're not going to be incarcerated, if at all, for very long periods of time. So I'm not really here to comment on whether that's right or wrong. It is, mm -hmm. it's, it's the framework within which we have to work. And, um, and, but I do think you're going to see an impact here in the commun community here. We're already seeing it here and elsewhere. 
I think, uh, you know, what, what is yet to be told, and, and unfortunately with COVID in the middle of it, it's difficult to get numbers that we can really compare and, and quantify accurately. So it'll, it'll take you know, the months and years to come. But I do think we're going to see some trends uh, unfavorable as far as property crime goes, uh, perhaps even in some of the violent crime areas. Um, but we're already seeing that in property crime because some of the, the steps we would use in the past to hold people in custody and, and break that cycle of uh, violence or crime, uh, we no longer have available to us. Because if that person is back on the streets, it's likely they're going to continue to offend, uh, especially if that cycle includes addictions as one of the things that they're having to fuel and, uh, and, and supply. So you will continue to see the property crime because if they have to break into cars, businesses, homes, uh, if they're out there, they're going to keep doing it. And um, until we have the ability to put some controls in place uh, to be able to monitor and or incarcerate and or restrict their activities, uh, uh, that's going to, I think it's going to be a, a pressure for all of us. It's, this isn't just a policing issue. This is going to be a community pressure. Um, and our local businesses are feeling it especially. And we know that, and we're trying our best to, to work with them and, and, and find other ways like crime prevention through environmental design to make your places more safe um, but and less desirable for, for offenders to want to commit crimes. But at the end of the day, we have to work within the framework that's provided to us, and that's what we're trying to do. So, you know, it's been, it's been pretty challenging for us, uh, very frustrating, and, and something that folks don't realize is the, you know, some of the changes with BC provincial policing standards and the like have really impacted the amount of work that police are required to do uh, to establish and maintain, get charge approval for, or to to uh, just the the um, the degree to which we have to go now to to get these investigations completed. Mm-hmm. So these are permanent game changers that have been uh, kind of dropped on our feet, and we're doing our best to uh, to to address it as we can. But it's uh, getting more challenging. Uh, especially with the resources uh, that we currently have. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've spoken with a, a local lawyer in town trying to set up that community court, and it sounds like it could help in dealing with some of these types of issues. So I hope to see that get off the ground, and that will help um, in your side of things as well. One more question here, Superintendent Leckie, for you while I have you on the line. But the city council did approve $750,000 to start uh, making um, some, some taking a look, if you will, at uh, Battle Street detachment upgrades. I know it's been bursting at the seams there for a long time. Um, things were set to move ahead a little bit last year, but then got deferred as a result of COVID-19. Just what is the, the attitude about staff, the, the fact that we're going to start that process to, to make things a little bit bigger so you can actually fit everyone in, in the uh, Battle Street detachment? I imagine that has people feeling a little bit uh, happy, the morale maybe going up a little bit or will start to go up as that process takes place. Well, that, that's a, quite the rosy picture you just painted there. Unfortunately, I don't think we've got that uh, that approach just yet. Okay. Um, we haven't had the the impact of it is going to we know is is going to be way down the road. So it really is uh, hasn't had any any uh, impact within the uh, the morale and that sort of thing within the office. The the, the fact is that this detachment uh, has been um, we've outgrown it a long time ago. Uh, so we really do need to start looking forward as to what the, the long-term plans are and, and uh, having $750,000 for, for the, the, the project planning and, and that sort of thing will help us. Um, and uh, we'll be able to hopefully in the future, the not too distant future, be able to talk about uh, whether or not 
it's going to suffice, uh, you know, what our needs will be, but that's part of the reason for this, this review. Um, but there's no question that we are a bit under pressure. We, uh, we, we, we're really jammed in here and, uh, you know, remodeling and moving things around. Um, it's, you can only do that so much and then you've got to find new space. So that's really where we've got to turn our focus. Superintendent Leckie, Staff Sergeant Pillay, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate you doing this. And also thank you so much to uh, Constable Evelyn there for, for helping with this as well. Appreciate all the great work and, and thank you so much for the time. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Listening there to Kamloops RCMP Superintendent Sid Leckie, along with Staff Sergeant Simon Pillay. Really appreciate them taking the time. A lot of ground to go over there.